begun to understand those who are, uh, are victims of prejudice is one that will be ongoing and will sort of run through everything we do, um, whether it's on Zoom or in church. Uh, and I really hope that that is uh, an ongoing conversation, really just at the beginning of that journey. But I did just want to shift the focus slightly um, and to think together about this point in the story that we've got to. Moses has, as it were, led the Israelites, led the people of God to the other side of the, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea and is at the, on the brink of the desert. That's where the story has taken us. We are on the brink of the desert. The people are about uh, to go into it. And I just wondered if we could reflect, perhaps for a few weeks together, of what it means to journey through the desert, what it means to be in a desert or a wilderness place, and whether uh, as we travel with the Israelites and as we see other examples of the people of God in the desert or the wilderness, whether that would help us in our current situation. Clearly, there are lots of differences between the people of Israel in the desert and ourselves in 21st century Britain. Um, all the kind of uh, physical privations that those people had to go through um, are not our experience. But equally, being cut off from that which is familiar, being cut off from that which we long to enjoy, being separated uh, from uh, things that were familiar and um, uh, things that we, as I say, that we enjoy, there may be some points of contact. There may be some, some parts of our current experience that we can understand better because we journey, as it were, into the wilderness with them. And I want to suggest this morning, or try to look together at that passage, particularly that, uh, that, that Babita read out for us, and to think about the desert as a place, firstly, of grumbling. The desert as a place of grumbling. The people of Israel are grumbling. We read that in, in verse 2. Uh, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. It seems that the euphoria of victory has worn off pretty quickly. They've had this incredible experience of the plagues being visited upon the Egyptians, of the, the Passover and them going out in, into the desert. And, and then, of course, the, 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 the miraculous deliverance of the, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, where the Egyptians are drowned. And they get onto the other side of that and they sing their song. And what happens next? They want their supper. Never mind the glorious, miraculous deliverance. They are hungry and they want their supper. The necessities, but somewhat little details of life, somehow begin to cloud the big picture. Perhaps they know that they shouldn't be grumbling, but actually they are. They fail to see the big and are consumed by the little, by the pressing needs of wanting to fill their stomachs. And I just wondered if there's a first point of, of connection between what they're experiencing and what we're experiencing. Some of us, I know, have been touched 
by the tragedies of the current situation. Some of us have seen at first hand what it means either to catch the virus or to see someone whom we love catch the virus and even be admitted to hospital and even tragically die. We remember with great fondness our friend and sister in Christ, Pat Woods, who was taken from us by this virus. It is a serious situation and it can be a major tragedy. But despite all of that, most of us probably haven't had it and most of us probably haven't been in very close connection with people who've had it and, none, and few of us, I suspect, have been into hospital with it. And it is possible, isn't it, to miss the big and to be consumed by the little, by the things that we are missing. And they're important things, don't get me wrong whether they're friends or family, whether they're major celebrations like weddings or, or birthdays or anniversaries. Mm -hmm. We're looking towards Christmas now and there's a sense of how will we be able to celebrate it? Will we be able to meet one another? Then there are perhaps even simpler things. I miss no end being able to walk into King's Heath and have a nice cup of coffee. Well, I, miss, I miss being able to speak with my friends and put the world to rights. I miss being able to touch people when I see them, to shake their hand or give them a hug. And perhaps like most of us, I miss being free from this horrible anxiety which is around all the time. But when you start thinking about those things, and particularly when you think about them with reference to the big picture, they feel quite little, don't they? They sound like uh, minor details when set against the fact that people are being hospitalised and are dying. I can, if I'm wishing to be a little bit harsh, feel that my concerns are somewhat pathetic. Maybe the first thing that this story tells us is that it's okay to grumble. It's okay to feel that we are missing those things that we enjoyed. Just as the Israelites were grumbling because they didn't have enough to eat, even though God had just done this incredible act of deliverance for them. So maybe it's okay for us to grumble, even if we don't have the virus and even if none of our loved ones do either. It's okay to not be enjoying this experience. And more than that, God actually hears our grumbling. There's this beautiful verse, verse 12. The Lord said, oh, verse 11, sorry. Uh, the Lord <laughs> said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. If you are struggling with this new lockdown, if you are struggling with all these restrictions and you want to grumble, then grumble to God because he hears us. He hears our grumbling. Don't feel guilty about it. Take it and give it to God. God heard their grumbling and it seems perfectly reasonable 
to think that he will hear ours. However little, however minor, however unimportant it may feel when we place it against the big picture, God cares and is concerned and hears our grumbling. So the, the desert is a place of grumbling, but a place where God hears our grumbling. And then secondly, the desert is a place of glory. Verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked where? They looked towards the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. They looked towards the desert. They didn't look back to Egypt. They didn't look back to what was familiar and well-known and comfortable. They looked out to the desert, to the place where lots of things weren't, where they weren't so sure, where they weren't familiar, where they didn't know where the food was going to come from, where they were frightened. They looked out there to the desert, to the hard place, to the wilderness. And that was where the glory of the Lord appears. And we don't know quite exactly how it appears in this cloud here. Was it the pillar of cloud that had guided the Israelites to the sea? Or was it a sort of more general sort of cloudy type shape that, that descends on the mountains in the Old Testament uh, and, and uh, reveals God's glory? We're not quite made, it's not quite made clear. We're just told that there was a cloud and the glory of the Lord appeared at that point. His presence is known in the desert. And as we go on and have a, a think about the desert places uh, in, in Scripture, we'll see that a really important part of the desert image, the desert picture in Scripture, is that this is one of the key places where God reveals himself. When the normal supports and structures, when the normal necessities of life are taken away, there God, it seems, has extra space to meet with people, to bless them, to reveal his glory. The desert becomes a place not of fear or threat, but a place of wonder, glory and encounter. The Israelites got to meet God. And perhaps if we begin to think about this time that we are in now, a second lockdown, and more generally this year as a whole, when so many things have been taken away from us, when we are all too aware of what we don't have, that maybe we have this opportunity to find the God of the desert, the God who reveals himself in wonder and glory and encounter. I may be wrong, but I can't remember the last time uh, as, a, as a sort of serving clergy of the Church of England, I got a letter from the Archbishop of Canterbury and York and the Bishop of London together calling me to fast one day a week for the next month. I can't remember that happening before. Maybe it has. I don't always read the letters this end. But, but um, England. I, I suspect that this has this has happened for the first time, that we are actually being called to say, look, let's meet with God. 
let's encounter him in this dark and difficult time when we are all painfully aware of what we don't have. We can't meet so well with one another, hardly at all. Can we meet with him? So it's a place of grumbling, but it's also a place of glory. And thirdly, of course, it is also a place of provision. Because as this story unfolds, we get the miraculous provision for the people of Israel in, in the manna, this bread that was on the ground in the mornings, and quail that came and, and, and settled over the camp in the evenings, so that they had meat in the evenings and bread in the morning. It is, play, it is a place of provision, of God giving the people of Israel what they needed. As we go on in our desert, in our wilderness, might it also be a place where God gives us what we need? And the precise details of what we need, of what God wants to give us, will of course be different for each of us. He knows us intimately. He knows what we need. And as we encounter him, so he will bless us, so he will give us what we need. But just as a, as a general sense, might he give us a renewed sense of perspective of who he is? I've been reading a, a little book by Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, uh, the, and in this little book, he, he talks about people who tried to define God philosophically. And then he says, um, he says these words. We don't need to know all of these high sounding terms. Maybe we have to know him and discover him another way. One day you ought to rise up and say, I know him because he's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the battle axe in the time of Babylon. And then somewhere you ought to just reach out and say, he's my everything. He's my mother and my father. He's my sister and my brother. He's a friend to the friendless. This is the Lord of the universe. And if you believe in him and worship him, something will happen in your life. You will smile when others around you are crying. This is the power of God. This sense of understanding who he is again, of grasping a little bit that he is God, and because he is God, he has us safely. He's got us. We are safe. We are part of his purposes. And however difficult things are now, we are still his people safe in the palm of his hand. He gives us perspective because he gives us our place. And once we find our place, then we find our peace. Peace to face the world, the big and the little. Peace to face the virus, the pressures of work, family, money, and all those legitimate worries that concern us day by day. Peace to face the little details of our lives unique to us 
which bring unique pressures. But once we found that peace, then we, perhaps like the Israelites, can go on. So the desert, the desert is a hard place, in many ways a miserable place. And if you are feeling miserable, then grumble, but grumble to God. And when you grumble to God, be ready for him to reveal his glory and give you everything that you need so that you can go on with him. Amen.